And welcome back to another installment of Animation Broadcast and Cinema. My name is Bo Allen. My name is Jacob Rodier. And we are here to talk to you more about Tom Holland. We can't get away from him, that little rascal. <laughs> he topped the charts again with Uncharted this weekend. Uh, what was it, $23 million over the two-day weekend? I Not mean, like he had any tough competition, though. I mean, the godfather, but we'll get there. <laughs> Um, I mean, he's a moneymaker, man, and he's popular, too. Uh, Variety reported that the fan favorite award looks like it's going to Spider-Man. Um, Jacob has seen other reports, but the Oscars posted their the, the top ten so far uh, for this bullshit category that I hate. Um, if you want to give Spider-Man award, an award, just have some stones and make it a Best Picture nom if you want people to fucking watch. That's... I'm going to say on that, but what the hell are some of these movies nominated? What is Min- you ever heard of Minamata? All right. So let's list them off. So these are the, the top 10 <laughs> from the Oscars fan favorite that they're doing. And I guess it's all based on Twitter. So anyone yes, that voted a hashtag. on, yeah, anyone that made a hashtag and voted on Twitter, that counts as a vote. So these are the, the top 10 so far. Army of the dead, Cinderella, Dune, malignant, Minamata, the Power of the Dog, Sing 2, Spider-Man No Way Home, The Suicide Squad, and Tick, Tick, Boom. Some of these I understand. Minamata, do you know what Minamata is? Yes. So I remember this movie. It got it got postponed a bunch. This was like a, a COVID movie. It was supposed to come out a long time ago. But it literally just came out, I think, like two weeks ago. <laughs> so there is no way that everyone saw this movie and was like yes this is the best movie of the year and voted it into the top 10 out of every movie that came out last year this weird ass indie johnny Depp minamata movie decided to make it to the top 10 which boggles my mind which makes me think that this list is fake and they just like threw some in just to throw them in I'm very, very confused by this. Um, I'm just so skeptical. Like, even Malignant. Malignant has this little, like, crowd no, of people. Malignant Hive it. stand up. Malignant Hive stand up. But I don't, <laughs> I just, I don't see how it, it would make the the top ten. Um, I, I did read, because I was, I was shocked I wasn't on the list, that um, uh, Snyder's Justice League cut does not count as a yeah. movie. Because it's like a recut. So it didn't count for this year's. So I totally understand why Army of the Dead and the Suicide Squad are on here because all those Snyder fans probably just went over to the the other Snyder movies that came out instead and just pushed those, which totally makes sense because he has like one of the biggest fan bases on social media. Army of the Dead is fun though. I li- I mean it's not great, but I I like I like it for what it is. I thought it was a very entertaining movie. Yeah, it was entertaining. I love the Suicide Squad. So Suicide I'm Squad ha- was great. I'm happy to see it on there, but I feel like if it if if both of those movies were not directed by Snyder, they would not be on this list. It's I just because Snyder just has such a hardcore fan base. I could see the Suicide Squad making it on there. Um, Maybe, yeah. I'm going through the hashtag right now. It looks like K-pop Twitter got a hold of Minamata somehow. K-pop. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, because it did, it did take place in Asia, I'm pretty sure. Oh, and it's the Justice for Johnny Depp hive. I get Johnny Depp has a big fan base, but... Uh, well, just... here's the thing. Uh, while, like, the whole Amber Heard gaslighting situation is terrible, that really got, like, 
taken a hold of by like the you know Twitter fingers Reddit forum <laughs> men's rights activist guys, and so like if you look at these accounts pushing it, it's all hashtag justice for Johnny Depp and like people like kind of using the Johnny Depp thing to minimize female domestic abuse. It's not a great look. Um, okay, then maybe it is justified of being like on it's there, like but... it's like a corner of the internet that's in a dark place that we don't often go to looks like we are okay (laughs) i'm just shocked that they have enough people to make a top 10 of the best movies people think of this year jesus this account is just in the bio is justice for johnny depp justice for johnny depp johnny depp is innocent johnny depp deserves better johnny depp deserves better johnny depp is a survivor those are all hashtags and in this person's bio and they are just spamming vote for minamata Okay, maybe I guess Johnny Depp has a way bigger fan base than we thought. Yeah, man, the the Depp hive bigger than the malignant hive. I'm... So I'm the Army of the Dead. I get Snyder. So fair, it makes the top ten. Cinderella. I've seen a lot of the Cinderella. I've seen uh, nothing buzz. but hate. I, I've seen the opposite. I, I mean, I've seen hate from like the movie people that I <laughs> yeah from pe- from people who know about movies. Sorry, yes. that's correct. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And then there's the other side of, one, people who are huge Disney fans, two, people who are huge Disney princess fans, and three, people who are huge Camilla Cabello fans. I was about to say I forgot this was the Camilla Cabello one. That totally makes sense now. And I'm sure most of them are coming from her fan base, and that's the ones that pushed it. So that one makes sense to me. Dune, it makes sense. It had a lot of buzz. It was a, it was a huge movie, one of the most talked about movies last year. So it makes sense it's on there. I feel like a lot of like the movie head fan base was pushing that one. Um, Malignant, Malignant's still a shocker to me. I I don't get how this movie made it on. I, I just am... feel like it was so it was it has like its little niche horror fan base of people who watched it, but it, like it didn't get that good reviews. So I don't know. I am I am standing at the forefront of the lines, waving the malignant flag back and forth. Oh, I'm so and, happy this made the list, and I honestly and wanted to win. The flag is just the back of that girl's skull. <laughs> it's the face on the back of her head. Malignant. I would spoilers love this if you movie. Haven't seen the greatest movie of 2021 yet. I would love to see this movie to win because it's just yeah, it's it's awesome. Oh my god! But yeah. I I'm really shocked it made this list. Yeah, besides Minamata. And that Cinderella movie and Sing 2, we'll get there in a second. Power of the Dog being on there is shocking to me. So I think this is kind of like the the same fan base as Dune a little bit, but more of like the hardcore film heads, film nerds, jockeys that are on Twitter pushing. Because I feel like that's the type of movie they would push, you know? Like, how many of these, how many of us are there? Also, I, no, but also I think this includes like the critics too, like the whole critic fan base, because this is the the top rated movie by critics um, this year by far. So it makes sense that like critics and just like it's just known to be like from if you're looking at it from a pure score standpoint and just pure ratings, this movie is number one by far of the year. So it makes sense that this is on here. This is kind of just like the. Um, just like the plan, like it, it's just in because it's the number one movie, you know. Dude, I don't know if the, I think it's the hashtag though is all they're taking. Into no, I know, though, but right? I think because this is like, I'm trying to think of like a good comparison. I look, I, I here's my thing. I don't, I don't think there's enough. Pe- 
the base for this movie is not hitting Twitter hard to campaign for Benedict Cumberbatch right now and, and Power the Dog, right? I, I see lots and lots of Power the Dog talk to some awards and critics, and, and it's all over. It's talked about a lot. And I think that's because of all this buzz that it's getting, and, and it's one of the clear Best Picture winners right now, too, that might win. So I think I th- I ma- it makes sense it's on here for me. Who's voting for Sing 2? The kids, man. Who? The what kids. kids? What kids that watch this movie are getting on Twitter? I don't know about <laughs> that, but I, my guess is like maybe it went on like TikTok and people found out, and then like all these TikTok people <laughs> made Twitter accounts and started spamming Sing Two. I can see that being on. I can see parents voting for that. Their kids that saw it are like, "Hey, hey, daughter, what movie did you like the best this year?" Sing Two. Okay. I, I Hashtag Sing Two. <laughs> You have parents being so committed to their children, they're going to go on Twitter to vote for their favorite movie. I think if you're a good parent, you should actually be showing your kid malignant. Introduce them to what good filmmaking looks like. Yeah, Sing Chu is a little bit of a shocker, but it, it did make a lot that, of money at box office. Did that movie just come out, too, like really recently? It came out or, like Christmas time. Late December, yeah. I mean, that feels really recent for some of these. Like, I mean, my sister saw it and my dad saw it, so people see I, that movie and loved it. I haven't seen the first one. Also, it has a huge cast, like a it big star. It does stars. have a big cast. So that could be part of it, too, where people just are huge McConaughey fans or huge whatever and just pushing would, them. That's a good point. I wonder how much of this is just like stan culture getting into this i feel i feel like a lot of these are stan culture i mean army of dead and suicide squad is snyder cinderella's cabello uh minamata i guess is johnny depp um i think a lot of this is stan culture um spider-man obviously I, th- I think that's like i guess that's kind of a given too but that's more of like the popular vote um given so um, it makes sense and i understand i th- it's probably gonna win I'm also standing at the front of the Spider-Man battle line, <laughs> waving a flag. <laughs> I'd rather um, see Malignant win over Spider-Man, honestly. But I mean, the thing that pisses me off, and I mentioned it at the top when I started this, is they clearly made this to get Spider-Man some recognition and to create fan engagement. Like, I think it was yeah. clearly done for Spider-Man. Yeah. And they were playing around with having it, you know, be a best picture nom. Why, why we should have just let it be a best picture nom. Like it's just like it's such like a coward's way out trying to have it both ways, you know? A little bit, but I don't think it ever had a chance of getting a best picture nom. I think it had a bigger one than we're giving it credit for or than you're giving it credit for. Like I I think the Oscars were really really thinking about it and desperate for some revitalization. Okay, in that sense maybe. But I think if this was like they didn't care about ratings and it was just a normal Oscar year, I totally think this never would have had a chance. I mean, yeah, probably not. But un- but the way it stands now, the okay, Oscars fair. are yeah. actively dying, like <laughs> actively yeah. dying. The only viewers they get are the three million people that follow them on Twitter. Like that 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 Twitter follower base is their viewership. Yeah. Um. Suicide Squad, Snyder, it makes sense that's on there. And it's a good movie. I'm happy it's on here. Um, and Tick, Tick, Boom, I think it's just Garfield stands. Yeah, I mean, the Spider-Man thing and Tick, Tick, Boom hit. Mm-hmm. And, and Eyes of Tammy Faye really all hit right at the same time for Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield, yeah. before Tick, Tick, Boom came out, 
was getting uh, supporting actor chatter uh, from right. Eyes of Tammy Faye, and then Tick Tick Boom came out, and they were like, "Okay, we're just gonna push him for actor." Right. Which I mean, I do think he was pretty spectacular in that movie. Yeah, I still need to see it, but it's it's fun. Overall, he won't win, but I think it's a very there's some very big shockers on this list that I'd not expect, um, and then some obvious given ones. Um, so it's a weird mix. I still hate that that this is a thing and that we're talking about <laughs> it's this. Fucking terrible. But it is what it is, and it's going to be interesting to see. Um, voting <laughs> voting closes on Thursday, March 3rd. Uh, this po- podcast also comes out on Thursday, March 3rd. So by the time you listen to it, you'll have a couple more hours to get your votes for Minamata and Power of the Dog in. Well, it's interesting <laughs> is they're doing this thing now where, where if you vote, you win like a, or you get put in a lottery for a trip to win to the Oscars. You get to go to the Oscars if you vote. What? <laughs> yeah. Like if you vote through their website, I don't know if you if it's just through oh, Twitter. Oh, I'm doing it through the web. I'm like looking at the website right now. Yeah, that, it says this... Oscar fan f- favorite vote: win a trip to the Oscars. Yeah, the the um... it's like a sweepstakes. Yeah, the the website also makes it a little bit more. That I can see the power of the dog, folks, ha- going to the website <laughs> yeah. to do it the old fashioned way as they're making their own rope. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, also, I think uh, so. Another thing that I didn't know was happening until I, I went on the website and saw this is they're doing an Oscars cheer moment. Did you hear about this? I think I heard about this, but go ahead and give give the breakdown of it. So this is even worse than fan favorite. Is I don't know, like going well to the, for the Oscars <laughs> this year. This just like boggles my mind, and it gets crazier <laughs> as you read more about this. So it's the Oscars cheer moment, and it's. Just the best scene in a movie that like got the best cheer or like reaction and like theaters and Twitter. But the thing about this cheer cheer moment is it's just any moment ever in the history of cinema. Like it's not just this year. It's it's any moment ever. So right. So the t- they did the top five. And so they are the Avengers Assemble and Avengers Endgame. Which okay, that that totally makes sense, but also not relevant. That that was two years ago or three years ago, whatever. At this point, there is only <laughs> one of these movies from this year, and the other one wasn't even considered an eligible movie of this year. The yeah. last one. All right, sorry. <laughs> Effie White's "I'm and I am telling you" from Dream Girls. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I never even saw this movie. I don't ever even like heard of this is. scene. <laughs> But it uh, it somehow made the top five of all time list. Keep um, going. <laughs> Neo dodging bullets in the Matrix, a movie from the nineties, but iconic scene. <laughs> also, biggest cheer moment. I don't know if anyone was cheering during this scene. Honestly, I think people were just like, "Oh shit, this is badass!" Like, I don't think anyone cheered ever for this scene until uh, afterwards. Sorry, quick interjection here. Dreamgirls, uh, 2006 film starring Jamie Foxx, Beyonce Knowles, and Eddie Murphy as the three highest billed. Um, Jennifer Hudson played Effie White, and she is like sixth billed on IMDb. Mm. <laughs> it's just these are such absurd choices. 
Next up, the Spider-Man team-up. I mean, obviously, that makes sense. It happened this year. It was a huge moment. Everyone was cheering during that scene. Totally makes sense to be on this list. That one, I'm, I'm all for. And then the Flash Speed Force scene in Zack Snyder's Justice League. A, a movie and a scene that was released at home. <laughs> yeah. Who's cheering? That didn't get a theatrical release. I mean, it did in, like, some places, but not really. And when it was released theatrically, there was still, like, capacity limits. What are we doing? <laughs> this list just boggles my mind. How they made it just any moment ever. And it's just the most random moments. The only ones that make sense are Avengers Assemble and the Spider-Man one. Those were two big, huge moments that, that totally make sense to be on here. Everything else, I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know if Twitter is just somehow randomly just like pushing these scenes. Like maybe there's just a huge Dreamgirls fan base we don't know about. I don't know. But this 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 top five just blows my mind. Hey, man. Well, thank God they cut editing out of the thing so we can see this shit. Cut editing out of the show so we can see what the biggest cheer moment was <laughs> between a movie released at home, a movie not even from this year, two from one from the early aughts and the other from the late 90s. This is great. Thank God. That's not even a cheer moment. It's just a badass moment. Nobody's cheering when Neo... <laughs> who's cheering in the 90s? Yeah, no one. I guess, I guess we wouldn't have video of it because they would have had to mount a shoulder camera to take it in back when, take one in back then. I, mean, I would I, just I love that. Wow. I would just love to know what their definition of cheer is for this. I'm, but I'm, I just don't think we're ever going to find out. Happy White cheer moment i'm like trying to see if i can find a fucking video from 2006 of dream girls what's interesting is um sorry i didn't mean to cut you off but what's interesting is um when you search hashtag oscars cheer moment just to see what like the top things are the top posts everything and i mean literally everything is snyder versus justice league literally everything and what my guess is what happened is because it was ineligible for the the fan favorite vote, all the Snyder fans were like, all right, fuck you. We're going to vote for it in the cheer moment. We're just going to choose a random scene in the movie that we really loved and just vote for that. And I think that's why it's on here. Because literally every post I see just scrolling is from Snyderverse. The, the Snyder, like... The Snyder Cut is something I actually enjoyed and thought it was a big improvement, particularly because I think it did Flash so much better. And Flash is... Like my maybe my second or third favorite superhero behind Spider Man, and that moment like was really cool and was like something that I wanted to see from the character. But even I, in a theater, a huge Flash fan, would not have cheered for that. That's not a cheer moment. Yeah, That's I so think weird. I think this these choices that made it to the top five, I think, are just like either leftovers from ones that didn't make the fan favorite list or just just like random fan bases that are just pushing like maybe this is a huge matrix fan base just huge effie white fan base <laughs> and they're just pushing these movies hard and that's why they're on here because so weird it just does uh, there's no other reason for it so 
Um, speaking of the cheer moment, this is kind of something. Uh, this is something I didn't have on the the outline here, but uh, this is a quote from Paul Schrader. I don't know if you saw this today. It was getting passed around film Twitter a lot, and I retweeted it and commented on it. Um, Paul Schrader says, There are people who talk about the American cinema of the 70s as some Hallison period, said the Hollywood veteran. It was a degree, it was to a degree, it was to a degree, Jesus, but not because there were any more talented filmmakers. There's probably, in fact, more talented filmmakers today than there was in the 70s. What there was in the 70s was better audiences. A lot of what was happening in the world had people in consternation. Women's rights, gay rights, sexual liberation, drug liberation, anti-war. All of these things were rolling on top of each other, and people were turning to the arts, specifically movies, for what we should feel about this. Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice about wife swapping, coming home about Vietnam veterans, an unmarried woman about female liberation. So almost one a week, films were coming out to address these things that were on people's minds. When people take movies seriously, it's very easy to make a serious movie. When they don't take it seriously, it's very, very hard. We now have audiences that don't take movies seriously, so it's so hard to make a serious movie for them. It's not that us filmmakers are letting you down. It's you audiences are letting us down. And I agree with that. I agree with that. Because I think that cheer moment thing is, like, a pretty good example of that. Like, why are we cheering? I get, like, there's a bunch of excitement but it's not like you're at a baseball game or a basketball. Like, there's not. It's not a sporting event, and it's not like a play. They can't hear you. What are we doing? And it makes it. It makes the whole thing seem like a cart. Like we're just watching a cartoon. Like I don't know. It feels right, well, less yeah, there's, serious. I guess there's two versions of cheering. There's like the cheering where you're like, you're clapping, you're clapping because you see something that like you like. I guess, and like, it's not really because of the story. It's because like you just you see something. Mm-hmm. It's like I think Martin Scorsese said it right. It's an amusement park ride. Like you're going up, and you you know what's about to come. You know what you're about to expect, and so everyone's clapping and cheering on the way down because it's it's fun. It's mm-hmm. amazing. You know what you're getting. But I think there's also like this happens especially at movie festivals where you, you see a movie that no one's ever seen before. And you're going along with the story and there's all these shocks and these oohs and these ahs and people, I don't know if there's cheering. I mean, sometimes there's cheering if like a, there's a big redemption arc for the character. Um, but there's still reactions. And I, I think I love that. I think that's a great part of movies. So I don't mean it in like a standing ovation at a film festival after a great movie or like. Not even after. I'm, I'm saying like during. Yeah, yeah, I know. Or even, you know, like just like if a like. I, yeah, audiences' reactions, gasping, shit like that. Like, that is part, I think, of a good movie experience. Um, or, like, even audiences, like, if you go see a very moving movie, which, as a good point to this, uh, to Paul Schrader's quote, there aren't many of now because it's just harder to get those made because it's not what audiences want. Um, you know, everybody clapping at the end of it, that's something to be expected. That's something normal. But, like, it's... The, and I'm and I'm a victim of this, and I I do love this, but I wish there was a balance between it. There there's no more like going to see a movie that's going to. It's almost like that nobody's really the, the masses aren't going to see movies that to be taken seriously. The masses are going to get the lizard brain scratch of oh Andrew Garfield, Tobey Maguire, Tom Holland all on the screen all on the screen together. There needs yeah. to be a balance, is my point. Like. People are going to – that's why the franchise is so popular. People are going to the movies for these 
big moments. And then, like, I have a friend who sees the cast of Kirsten Dunst, Jesse Plemons, Benedict Cumberbatch of The Power of the Dog, and then the, it's a, a slow build up the entire time for one small moment at the end, and he texts me and says that movie fucking sucked. They nobody gets the point. Like, it's it, it, audience audiences have lost the plot literally. Yeah, I also. I see what Schrader is saying in terms of like what's happening in society right. and how that kind of develops, like what the audience's mindsets are. But I also think there's just a huge transformation when like social media and the internet came along mm-hmm. and people's attention spans just got way shorter and that kind of just changed everything, not just movies, but if we're talking about movies here, like it definitely changed people's perspectives on movies. Right. I'm not, and it's not um, trying to sound like the old man shaking his fist at the cloud, you know, <laughs> like Grandpa Simpson. But it is, oh, it is a little bit like that though, because there yeah. is no patience, and nobody really wants to see a movie that's gonna make you think. Like, ex- the Power of the Dog versus Spider Man is a great example. Yeah, but it's, it's interesting. Like, um, well, it's almost like the ultimate, like. the ultimate symbolism for this era of filmmaking is the power of the dog, which is like an incredible movie. And Spider-Man No Way Home over here is an incredible movie on the other side. But like, I'm, I'm not getting texts from my friends saying Spider-Man No Way Home fucking sucks. (laughs) Like, you know? Yeah. And what's interesting, which we can uh, transfer over to now is that like movies like Spider-Man No Way Home and the Batman and these other big superhero movies that are, action-packed are like three hours long they're all over like two and a half hours um which is interesting because it's not really about the length of the movie it's just about like the content and what's happening in the movie to keep people's attention because people love spider-man and so far people have been loving batman and they're not no one cares about the runtime yeah we're doing we're getting great reviews on the batman which i am pretty pumped about i'm going to see it uh I mean, do we want to do theater of the mind and act like this is kind of, like we're recording this on a Thursday because that's when people will listen to it? I'm going to see it tonight, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, and then the the reviews for it, the Metascore reviews is, is 73, which is honestly a little bit lower than I thought it would be coming out at. But the audience reviews on IMDb at least are sitting at nine out of ten, which is very good with thirteen thousand reviews in. Um, I haven't looked. Batman at... fans are harsh critics too. That is very true, man. Very, very true. And uh, I haven't looked at Rotten Tomatoes because I don't like Rotten Tomatoes. But uh, everything I'm seeing points to this being a good movie. I've one thing. Uh, here, here's what it. What I'm worried about is this movie. I don't think is the typical comic book movie we're used to getting i don't think it's going to give a cheer moment i don't think it's going to be there's going to be action but i don't think it's going to be as action-packed as we've seen batman uh in the most recent years this is like a slow burn detective movie like apparently there's scenes where he's like going through old boxes of records to look for clues like we're getting fucking detective comic book batman which yeah. I am excited about. I am worried that a wider comic book audience, besides the diehard Batman fans, won't be as accepting of it. Yeah, I don't know. And it's going to be interesting to see how it performs at box office. Um, but 
I uh, one I'm 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 happy that the reviews are just saying this is vastly different from anything we've gotten because that's all I want. I don't want another same old Batman story. I want something different. So that's great. But what was, what was interesting is the reviews that I so I read some good reviews, some bad reviews. But all the bad reviews that I read, yeah, were they they were ridiculous because all they complained about was it was dark, it was de- too depressing. Um, it was it was too violent, too like gruesome. I was just like, you, how are you judging a movie because it's too dark and depressing? I read one review where the person was saying, this movie is not good because um, we don't need a movie like this during the time yeah, that we're in right the now. Times, yeah. I was like, what? How are you judging a movie based off when it comes out? Like a lot of the reviews were like that, and I was just like, what? What's going on here? Why are we bashing this? Because it's too dark because of what age we're, or society is ha- like what's happening right now in society. Um, it doesn't make sense. So, yeah, and the, it's too dark and it's too depressing, all this shit. Hey, it's a Batman movie. Yeah, this is also <laughs> what Batman. What are we doing? The Dark Knight. Like, what? It is It is supposed to be dark and make you feel bad. Like Literally all these bad reviews just got me even more hyped that this is a good movie. Batman is a nihilistic character who has a fucked up view of the world and thinks that like he ha- he's a billionaire who rather than like donating to like education and like other like things to help people he thinks the best way to solve problems is with his fists like ba- this is somebody with a fucked up view of the world and we're going into that world that coincidentally is also very fucked up like it is it is that fucked up crazy yeah Um, so either way uh, i'm hyped for this movie we'll be talking about it next week i'm sure yeah oh my god yeah um so just a little bit of background on this movie do you know what this like what i i think this is heavily inspired by the batman hush storyline do you know i know nothing you don't know anything do you i don't know about the story of the movie or the hush Comic. So, well, the Batman Hush comic, I, I don't know how much is taken from this. The only, I think, assumptions that people are, like, getting this from is that Hush is, like, this villain who is super fucked up and keeps outsmarting Batman and, like, even figures out who he is relatively quickly. And he's killing just all these people and constantly getting in Batman's way. And he cannot figure out a way to beat him or even figure out, like anywhere near who he is and then we find out like at the end because batman doesn't figure it out hush like says this is who i am he goes i'm the riddler and he had wrapped his face in all these bandages and stuff and he's like i've been a joke for so long and like now you're finally gonna take me serious and so i think when the, i remember when the like first little teaser trailer came out and we never really got a date on it. It was just the question marks. And all we saw, the only shot we saw of the Riddler was him with the duct tape and like with the weird mask on. I think everybody was like, oh shit, we're getting hush. Like, um, and everybody kind of knew immediately it was the Riddler. I, I don't think he'll go by hush in this. I think it's pretty clear he's going by the Riddler. Hey everybody, it's Bo here to tell you about our sponsor, Album Book Club. It is a book club, but, you know, for albums. And uh, they have weekly picks that they put out on their Twitter, at Album Book Club 1. And they 
uh, have curators that choose picks week by week. Uh, it can range from hip hop to bluegrass to death metal to indie to pop. It's all over the place. Uh, it's a great way to discover new music. I've been following them and working with them for quite some time. They also put out their magazines on albumbookclub.com. They just put out an issue with Osar and Paris Price. Uh, they have great merch over there. It's all great-looking stuff. Um, definitely check them out. Give the Twitter a follow. Give the page um, a look. It's great stuff. You're not going to be disappointed. Good way to discover music. Let's get back to the movie. And welcome back from the break, and it's time to talk about The Godfather. Jacob, from this point out, you're going to call me the Podfather, and you'll be my conciliary for the rest of the episode. Yes, Podfather. Um, <laughs> all right, conciliary, do you want to give us uh, who's in it, who directed it, and what's it, what it's about? Of course, Podfather. Anything. <laughs> <laughs> the Godfather um, came out in 1972, a three-hour epic Um about the aging patriarch of an organized crime dynasty in post-war New York City transfers control of his clandestine empire to his reluctant youngest son. Um, directed by Francis Ford Coppola, written Coppola. by Fr- Coppola. Coppola, uh, written by Francis Ford Coppola and Mario Puzo wrote the book. Um, starring, I'm just gonna list off a bunch of people: Marlon Brando, Al Pacino, James Caan, Diane Keaton. Uh, Robert Duvall, Sterling Hayden, John Marley, Richard Conte, um, Alatiri, Abe Vigata, Talia Shire, Gianni Russo, and John Cazale. Um, legendary. Big cast, big cast. Legendary cast. All right. Um, so, oh, Jesus Christ. I just fucked up my notes. Okay, we're back. We're back. We're good. Keep the struggle. Keep it in. Um, all right. This movie is one of the highest. It's probably it is the highest reviewed movie of all time. It's the mm-hmm. highest rated movie of all time. Um, hundred Metascore. I pulled from Roger Ebert's nineteen seventy two review. Uh, during the movie, this he's re- he, so he's talking about how these people are bad people, but they're sympathetic and even admirable because. They do nothing that you can disapprove of. During the movie, we see not a single actual civilian victim of organized crime. No women trapped into prostitution, no lives wrecked by gambling, no victims of theft, fraud, or protection rackets. The only police officer with a significant speaking role is corrupt. The story views the mafia from the inside. That is its secret, its charm, its spell. In a way, it has shaped the public perception of the mafia ever since. The real world is replaced by an authoritarian patriarchy where power and justice flow from the Godfather, and the only villains are traitors. There is one commandment spoken by Michael. Don't ever take sides against the family. It is significant that the first shot is inside a dark, shuttered room. It is the wedding day of Vito Corleone's daughter, and on such a day, a Sicilian must grant any reasonable request. And uh, he goes on to talk about the screenplay and just how fucking perfectly written it is. Um, he does kind of mention that women kind of take a back role here, but to mm. be fair, it's a mafia movie, and at the time it was set, there wasn't a lot of female gangsters. Um, so, book was published in 1969. Puzo had written a few books before this, 
but they were not huge sellers. They were very well-written books, but they, they weren't critical successes. And so he, like, started writing The Godfather, and he, in 1967, Paramount bought the film rights to it for $80,000 for The Godfather for $80,000. It wasn't out yet. It was finally published in 1969. Uh, best se- it was the biggest best-selling published work in like its time. It sold it was on the bestseller list for 67 weeks and sold 9 million copies in 2 years. So 1969 is really when they they were like getting the ball rolling on this. Uh, and they Paramount was like, "All right, we need a director and we're going to make this movie cheap." but we're going to do it with an Italian. So they like asked Sergio Leone, but he was doing Once Upon a Time in America. They went after Peter Bogdanovich, but he was not uh, interested in the mafia. Also, is Peter Bogdanovich Italian? I thought he was Jewish. Why did I think he was Jewish? Don't know. You back me up here? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't know. That's weird. I don't, I don't know. That's strange. Um, they went after a few other directors, Everybody declined it. Nobody wanted to make this movie. And then they get to literally the bottom of the list, and it's Francis Ford Coppola. He had just made a movie that flopped. Like, nobody would touch him at the moment. He was $400,000 in debt to Warner Brothers through his production studio. Um, The movie prior to this was The Rain People. They came to him and said, make this movie, make The Godfather for us. He said, no. <laughs> and then he realized he was $400,000 in debt to Warner Brothers and said, okay, I'll do it. He was paid $125,000 and 6% of gross rentals. So he ended up making a good sum from this movie. Um, Paramount was not doing well at the time this movie was coming out, so they really needed a win. And they started off the budget at $2.5 million. But then the book started taking off and growing and growing and growing, and it was became this massive hit, so they gave him a little bit more of a budget. Uh, they originally wanted it to be set in Kansas City, and so they could shoot it in the studio back lot and cut down the costs. And they also wanted it to be set uh, in 1970, like, you know, a contemporary movie. And Coppola was like, no, we're doing it in the 40s and 50s. We're doing it in New York. Like, we are not changing. The, you want it in Italian. This is how we're doing it. And they finally let him shoot on location in New York and in Sicily. Uh, But he was on the hot seat the entire time they were filming this movie. He was over. He he was missing dates, like not not hitting his deadlines. He was so over budget. The film was costing forty thousand dollars per day because Coppola was so indecisive and kept doing screen tests and kept like changing out actors it was $40,000 per day before he had decided on his actors. He said that he felt that he was – like Paramount was over his shoulder the entire time, and they were not happy with anything he made. And he thought that they were go- – he was going to be fired the entire time. He had never worked on a movie this big. Uh, he it – w- it was a terrifying way, like, way to live for him. Um Coppola later explained, like the Godfather, I fired. He was firing people constantly. I fired people as a preemptory strike. The people who were angling the most to have me fired, I had fired. Uh, one of the biggest people in his corner was Brando because he threatened to quit if Coppola was fired. Like it's crazy. 
Okay, so that makes more sense. Because I was about to say, it's crazy that Coppola had so much control over everything, knowing how much like he was in debt and like how much he owed these people. So the craziest thing is, like, yes, Brando was in his corner, but he still had all this creative control. Before Brando was even cast, he stood up to them and was like, we're not setting this in fucking Kansas City. What are you doing? It's insane that he got his way in all this. It, it is, I think, one of the biggest miracles in the history of film because like when have you ever heard of this much studio interference in the movie turning out to be not only good but the best film ever made or considered to be the best film ever made well there wasn't much studio interference there was until he got his way well what i meant was it's set like just a studio being this close to it you know like if if you hear a studio is heavily involved with like a film coming out you're like oh that's gonna fucking suck Mm -hmm. (laughs) like the studio was trying to interfere with it, and he was just stiff-arming them right. and saying, if you don't like it, fire me. Yeah. He wrote the uh, I, I, he wrote the screenplay with Puzo, and um, he so it was authentic in that way. Uh, Puzo, like, he, he was able to make sure Puzo's vision was, you know, um, realized. Puzo was the one who wanted Marlon Brando to play Vito, and he sent a letter to Brando, and he said, you're the only actor who can play the Godfather. The P- Paramount didn't want Brando. They didn't want Marlon Brando. Yeah. He, well, do you know, was he, like, a popular actor before this movie? He was a – he was. He was a big actor, but recently – his he, he was known to have a short temper. He was hard to work with. He was, like, in The Godfather, he was reading off fucking cue cards. Wow. But he his movies, like, before this had not totally, you know, hit. And he had a short temper, and they were just like, it's not worth it. But Puzo was like, no, I'm not. It's like, it has to be Brando. Uh, and Coppola really wanted Brando or Lawrence Olivier. Uh, Olivia turned down the role. Um, <laughs> the, the his agent claimed Olivier was sick, and Olivier went on to star in another movie later that year, so he couldn't have been that sick. Um, they finally cast Brando. They like he had to come in uh, like for a test screening, like an audition almost to convince Paramount and. Brando, so in the book, like, you know how in The Godfather he's got, like, the big jowls? Yes. So in the book he's described that way, and everybody had read the book. So he came in and or cotton balls in his cheeks, put shoe polish in his hair to darken it, and was like, let's fucking do this thing. <laughs> and it was magic. We were off to the races. Did he have cotton balls in his mouth during filming? No, they built a prosthetic. Okay, okay. Um. So, you know, obviously Al Pacino fucking, uh, oh, okay. Well, hang on. This is, uh, before I get to, um, I was, I was going to get to James Caan, Robert Duvall. So Al Pacino was cast, uh, as Michael, he, uh, so Robert De Niro was originally given the role of Paulie, the guy who sets up, uh, the Don, um, and then, God, this is, I'm all over the case. De Niro also auditioned for the role of Sonny Corleone, and I think he was cast for it as uh, at cast as Sonny for a little bit. Then they moved him to Polly, and then he ended up quitting the picture to go star in a, in the gang that couldn't shoot straight. Um, because he, he got that 
role in the game that couldn't shoot straight because Al Pacino quit it to do The Godfather, which of course led to De Niro getting the uh, Don part, the Cor- Don Corleone part, and uh, Godfather part two. Uh, James Kahn was in it. James Kahn is not an Italian, but they had him playing Italian. They wanted a mostly Italian cast, but James Kahn uh, at the time also a really well-known actor. I, th- I think he's one of, he's still one of the greatest of all time. And he had worked with Coppola in the past. He was in the rain people, the movie that put Coppola, <laughs> that put Coppola in the position that he had to take this movie. Um, what did you think of James Conn's Sonny? Um, he was great. Uh, I, I, there's no one I didn't like in this movie. I think everyone nailed their part. Um, I think, but yeah, it's, I do think Marlon Brando was way above everyone else. Like he just dev- engulfed that role so fucking well. Like I I don't know how he is in like in real life or how he acted, but just seeing I can, I don't think I could see him as anything else but the Don. Like he just the way he acted, literally just every like mannerism he had, the way he looked in his eyes, he was just incredible and seriously one of the best performances I've ever seen. It, it is. Well, it is one of the best of all time, without a doubt. Um, he shook me uh, as from the first scene, and then I was like, "Oh my god, this is!" I, I totally got this now. Electricity. You are. Uh, you cannot get away from him. Yeah. It is perfection. Uh, I love. So, so we did Brando. James Con just hit a little bit. Uh, Duval, one of my favorite actors ever. I absolutely love him as Tom Hagen. Yeah, I, have, I think he, he was a great little sidekick character. You haven't seen part three yet, but I think the biggest problem with part three is that he is not in it. That's like, mm. one, it, there's a, it, that movie's got a lot of problems, but that is one of the biggest ones to me. Um, love Richard Castellanos, Clemenza, a big part. A big problem with part two is that he's not in it. He was supposed to be in it, but they had to write him out because he, he had lost a bunch of weight. And oh, I was wondering Francis, why he wasn't in it. Yeah, Francis Ford Coppola was like, put the weight back on, and he was like, no, I don't want to. He also wanted to write his own lines and play the young Clemenza. Oh, uh, that's a little aggressive. <laughs> it was so weird. Um, so they wrote him out, and pretty much that's what Frankie Five Angels is. He's Clemenza. Mm-hmm. He's, which, ironically, a, a pretty skinny guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I will say don't like diane keaton in this movie that's kind of a hot take i think the thing is th- she wasn't in it that much she had her couple scenes but yeah i do think her most important scene which is the last shot of the movie she nailed that's I think good she gave one of the best like reactions possible during that scene uh her her in this movie is nails on a chalkboard to me i don't know why Every every ending especially in part two, but it feels like just overacting to me. I do get that a little bit, but I, I think it's it's weird because she's like one of the only quote unquote normal people in this. Yeah, she's movie. an outsider. Yeah, she's such an outsider, and I think that's why she stands out is is because we're we're so engulfed in this mafia world and how these other people act. That she's just like such an outsider and such like a, um, it's just it's just like she stands out so much because of that. And you're just like, whoa, wait, what's going on here? You know, she doesn't but, fit in, and that's the point. No, she doesn't fit in. I, it's just every like 
almost every role in this movie is so like calm and calculated. Sonny's uh, will be over the top a little bit, but he's just he's got a bad temper. But like Kay's reaction to stuff just like drives me insane. She's so over the top. Um, that's a big. That's probably me p- carrying over some Godfather two gripes though. I think she's worse than Godfather two, but um. I didn't mind her. I, I think she just stands out because she's so different from everyone else. Um, John Cazale doesn't get a ton of time to shine in this movie as Fredo, but everything he's in, I think he's one of the most like electric actors on the screen. Uh, so are the only two John Cazale movies you've seen uh, Godfather and Part 2? Uh, I think so, yeah. Man, he you got to watch Dog Day Afternoon. You got to watch Deer Hunter. He is just a lightning rod. He is so talented. Every He was great in part two. Every movie he has been in has been nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, that's which I, quite the flex. He's literally batting a thousand. And he and in each of these movies he like although like even in Godfather Part Two, although it's a small role, He's one of the brothers, and the scenes with him are pivotal scenes, and he is amazing in them. He, uh, he's like, he's like, he's never the, he's ne- he was never the star of a movie. He was always the number two guy, number three guy, but he's like just so consistent. It's literally like bringing a six man off the bench in a basketball game, or bringing in a middle reliever in a baseball game. Like you know, he's just gonna give you like solid <laughs> performance out there. Give you good efficiency, and you're gonna be able to get out of whatever jam you're in, man. Uh, um, so Coppola, we oh, talked a little before before oh, we go yeah. into him. Let me just give my overall thoughts on the movie. Um, before, because you were given a, a, a long history lesson. Uh, let me okay. just give my quick thoughts. Um, it's my first time seeing it, so um, no. Overall, I I totally understand why it's the best picture of all time like I, I get it it's it's incredible i really i did really love it um but it was it was interesting watching it with that connotation like the back of my head the whole time because especially like in the beginning i was like when they're holding on the wedding for like so long i'm like wait like what's happening here like what is this i like there's very little i wouldn't say little but like the plot is not like the main driving factor throughout all of it. It kind of just like jumps all over the place and it's really, really like ambitious, like even for today, which I think shocked me a lot because I, I was really expecting it to be more of stuff that I see now that the Godfather was like the original of, and like just, there's been a bunch of repeats since then, but that, I mean, that is the case, but it's also not the case. Like, I feel like if this was made today, it would still be as ambitious. Like this is, it was, it was really just like, it kind of blew me away in that sense. Um, but overall, yeah, the, the acting was incredible. I, I really loved like each little part. The, I think my favorite scene was the, um, the, uh, restaurant scene when, uh, Michael's going in to kill the, the cop and Solazzo, 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 Solazzo um <laughs> post face right there just give me the eye roll um but yeah that scene was it was so intense and i was gripped the whole time um also when marlon brando when he f- gets shot five times in the back 
I thought he was dead right there. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, what's happening? Like, we're in like we're an hour into this movie and he's de- dead already. That was like a, a big twist I did not see coming. Um, even though he did not end up dying, but still. Um, but yeah, overall, I, I, I get the hype. I'm glad I, I watched it finally. And I, I got glad I got to see it in theaters of all places. It was nice to see it with uh, basically a full house, which was nice. Um, and it got me gripped enough to see part two which was which is great um yeah and I, I love i totally understand the legacy it's a fantastic movie and I, I think i'll definitely be watching it again in the future um the only gonna, the only gripes yeah. i had with this movie I'll, I'll go there quickly is um one it, it's hard to count this as a gripe because it's just the time that i was in but the fighting in some scenes were god awful. Oh like, god! It's insane. They kept the the fighting scene in with with Connie. Oh sorry, um, was it Connie? With Carlo. Sorry, yeah, Carlo. Um, that was bad. The punch is terrible. That you could literally see the punch miss him, it's and bad. he still reacts. And that just like for a movie where everything is so particular, and Coppola was so specific about like every little scene, I'm shocked he left that in. It's just that one was so obvious. Like the other ones were, yeah, they were fake, but you can still kind of get away with them and they're understandable for its time. But that one just it blew my mind seeing an actual punch just miss his face. And they kept that in. That that blew me away. Um, um, like it completely took me out of it. I'm like, what is this? Like, what are we doing here? Yeah. Okay. My only thing about that is how, how much good action was there in 1972? How much? No, like, that's what I I'm saying. I, I, I'm yeah. like, I'm not trying to gripe it because I, I understand it. It's like that's part of the times that we were, they were living in. Like the action right. just wasn't great, but for a shot that was so obviously fake, it's just like, like he watched that and it's like, yeah, we're gonna keep that in, which is weird to me. Um, and like also like the, the sound was weird throughout some of it. You couldn't understand some things. Um, but I, I totally get that. That's just because of the times. Um. But yeah, the length, the length really didn't bother me. I, I didn't mind that at all. Um, I did think it was very confusing, especially for the first time, like keeping track of all the characters, who's who, like the storylines, because it really, it really just jumped around and like time jumped a lot. Um, but I think that's not necessarily um, a bad thing because I think when I rewatch this again, it's just going to get a lot better because now I know what's happening. Um, yeah, I think... It is especially jarring if it's your first time watching it. It's mm-hmm. especially jarring if it's your first time watching it in such in, in an era like this because I think there's a lot of and we've talked about this before or I have. There's a lot of hand holding in movies now, and mm-hmm. you know this is this is come on, this is what's happening. This is we're gonna do more exposition in this scene. This is like the opposite track. of that, but in a yeah. good way. This is you're you're watching a fucking movie and you're gonna figure out what I'm trying to tell you. Like you are going to figure it out. Um, like something I don't think people ever pick up on is Michael's in Italy for like three or four years. Yeah, they don't. There's no indication. They of that. never mention that, and I was like, right. where are we? And like they tried. The thing was the black eye was the thing that was like uh, you can tell like time was passing because it was like slowly healing. But at some points the black eye like wasn't healing. Like it was just well, kind of there. And I was Here's like, some, are we jumping in time? Are we still, like, only one month from the punch? Like, how long does it take for a black eye to heal? It's not a black eye. Did what you notice it? that he's always got his, his handkerchief up to his nose? Yeah. In, in Italy? Yeah, yeah. So when McCluskey punched him, he 
broke a bone in his face that stabbed into a sinus. And so Oh, what? They never explained that. That bruise, well, it's a kind I mean, you figure his face is fucked up somehow because his nose keeps running and he keeps doing the uh, handkerchief to his face. I really and thought so, it was just like a black eye or a bruise. I couldn't really tell. Mm-mm. And so he keeps putting his, and the black eye is there because, like, it still is getting agitated and, like, it'll mm. flare up. And, like, um, he keeps it actually there's an easy surgery to fix it and he keeps it because he wants to be more menacing okay um, interesting but like he doesn't meet apollonia until he's over there for a year he is yeah. around when he meets her and then like at the end of that year they get married it seems like it happens so quickly but it's yeah. pretty it's a it's a long process um one thing i noticed this time actually first time having watched it since reading the book uh, it's such a little moment. I don't even know if you'll notice it if you noticed it, but when he's walking with her and the family's behind, that's like the first time they've ever really gotten to talk to each other. But both of them like had that thunderbolt moment, and their like desire to be with each other was like they could they weren't even allowed to like hold hands, and they wanted to so badly, and they were both like so in love with each other, even though they never talked to each other. And she like falls and stumbles on the rock. She doesn't fall over, but she stumbles and they bump into each other and he like helps her up. Yeah. Um, the mom walking behind them, like in that moment, like both of them, like their minds like explode <laughs> in that moment. And then the mom, you get her perspective for a second and she sees her fall and knows she did it on purpose because she's walked up that hill a thousand times in high heels and has never once slipped before. Uh. It's just like, that's why I love the book so much because you get so much like little detail like that or big detail in the case of Sonny, but I'm not going to go into that right now. That's a different podcast. <laughs> um, or maybe I'll do it. I don't know. Um, all right, so do I? should I do my big Michael? I'll do my big Michael thing now. Michael is one of the most evil characters ever put to film. Yeah, well, what was also really interesting about this is while the story and, like, all the characters and everything is, like, very complex, the the overall, like, story is so simple. It could be summarized in, like, one story. sentence. It's just a villain origin story, really. And, and so, it's fascinating to just, like, watch all these little, like, big events happen that lead to it. Um, Michael has this weird... So he was the one that wasn't supposed to be part of the business. And uh, Don Vito is actually, he's mad that he joins the Marines because he never wanted him to join the Marines, but he did want him to be the one to go to college and, you know, get into good legitimate business or become a Senator or something. He just never wanted him to join the Marines. He was at Dartmouth and then left to join the Marines and Don Vito didn't talk to him for like a year. He was so upset with him. And then, um, he comes back. He's like, the war is over. They're happy. They have Michael back, but Michael's still not going to be part of the family. They all understand that. And then it's as his family is falling, this family is falling in their power. And it's like, the story is a critique of, it is a massive critique of the American judicial system and capitalist system and our politics and everything. Because like the whole thesis of it is Don Vito serves justice better and is more fair and makes everything more equal for the people in this community, in this city, than the government ever could. And not only that, he owns the fucking government. He owns all these people. Yeah. But And it was interesting that, like, I always thought, like, 
I think from the beginning kind of gives off that vibe that Don's like this very evil person and their whole family is kind of evil, but he does have good intentions. So I, this is where it's hard. I don't think the Don is evil. I think he no. does evil things. And I think the, so part two is where you see his backstory and yeah. where he came from. Um, that's in the book, the book, Michael's story in part two, a hundred percent written by Puzo and Coppola for that movie. The Don Vito in part two, that, that, sh- that is from the book, which goes along with the story of part one. So that's yeah. what it's cutting back and forth between. So you see the rise of the Don and then you see the fall of his empire at the same time. Right. With part two, it's, you see the rise of the Don and you see the fall of his son. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, it's a falling empire, which is an allegory for what, you know, America was seen as through Puzo and Coppola's eyes, like mm-hmm. this falling empire that was getting weaker, but it's also a son rising up to take the place of his father. And that son is pure unbridled evil. He had, so he starts off. He's like, he's actually is very innocent. He knows what his family does. And he's not innocent in that way, but he's, that's not me. That's not who he is. He, he's constantly reassuring himself. That's not me. But there's little moments where all of a sudden this side comes out of him and he he doesn't even know how it happens. But he's all of a sudden it's like he is the Don, almost as menacing or almost as like cunning as he is, almost more influential to these people. Mm-hmm. And the first moment you see that is after McCluskey punches him in the face and he's sitting in the Don's office with Sonny and Tom and they're wondering about what they should do about Zalazzo. And that's it's that the music cuts and then the slow zoom into Michael as he's sitting in that chair, which initially was framed to be facing the Don's desk. Like you see, Michael is just a, 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 almost like a piece of the furniture in this room. He's not a player in the conversation. Mm-hmm. But then Coppola spins the camera around, focuses Mike on Michael right in the center with Tom Hagen on his right side, on the other side of this desk, the conciliary on the right side, and slowly zooms in the Godfather music starts to rise in a little bit. And Michael's like, I'm going to like, he's like, he's like, you're going to tell them you're going to let them choose the location so they can feel safe. And he's like coming up with this brilliant plan. He's never done it before. It was just in him. It's genius. And then from there on, it happens again when he's in Italy and he meets the guy, the, the, the Apollonia's father for the first time he's do, he's having it translated for him but his tone of voice is coming across so well that this guy gets fucking scared yeah and it was fascinating watching this especially as a first time viewer because one for some reason I always thought the Don was the main character the whole time I had no idea it was Michael and I had mm-hmm. no idea like he becomes this villain or this the, the next godfather so watching it I was like I kind of wasn't really paying attention to Michael because I'm like, all right, he's just a side character, like whatever. But then you, you just slowly see, like, like you're talking about these small little things, and you like you slowly start to realize what's happening, and you're just like, oh my god, this is crazy. And then he he comes back from Italy. He had been back for like a year. He says six months to Kay. He says six months, maybe longer. He had been back for a year. Yeah. He finally goes and talks to her, and he is a different person. We oh, it yeah. comes out of. That's I think they omitted a bunch of stuff in the book because so that way it's just as much of a shock to us as it is to Kay that he's just he's not the same guy. Yeah. He comes back. That, that was the moment that really like turned. I'm like, oh, OK. He he's tells changed. her. Yeah. He tells her he's in the business now. He doesn't say that he's the head of it. But at that moment, he is. He is 
um, and then she's like, well, senators and uh, presidents are powerful, but they don't have people killed. And he's like, you're, he's like, if you believe that, then you're the fool, okay? Like, holy shit, this is not the same guy. He was an idealistic, good-natured, like, American army marine, you know? Like, he believed in the positives of this world, and now he's like, yeah, we the presidents and senators kill fucking people every day. They get us to do it. Like, <laughs> it's unreal. Um, and then just the way the, 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 the way, you know, that he really is fucking evil. I think, well, there's two ways. One is he executes a six person hit perfectly during a cor- uh, uh, coronation. Baptism. It is his coronation. It's during a baptism though. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we take out the heads of the five families and we kill Mo Green. We're getting the, the shares in Las Vegas and we got rid of the bad blood. Like, Clemenza talking about these things need to happen every few years, you know, talking about the wars because there needs to be bad – there's need to get rid of the bad blood. He is finishing that war off because he would be viewed by weaker by those other dons. And so – and plus, like, they had all this respect for his father, and his father said, I will not break the peace. I will not be the one to break the peace. He very clearly said that. But he had been planning for Michael to be the one to do it. Right. So they clear out the heads of the five families, meaning their sons will be the ones to take their place. So now Michael's got a bunch of people the same age as him running New York. Smart move. And he's he's getting ready to move all the shit out to Vegas because he got Mo Green out of there. Mm Mm-hmm. It's great. It's genius. And then, obviously, uh, fucking Tessio had to go. That that was – Yeah. He he betrayed Michael – I never thought it would be Tessio. I always thought it would have been Clemenza. No, Tessio was always smarter. Great conversation right there. I love that conversation between Duvall and Pacino. Um, and then on the day of the baptism, promises, promises Carlo he won't kill him. Kills him immediately after. Yeah, then that's rough. The final nail in the coffin when you realize, holy shit, he is evil incarnate, is when... He says, Kay, you can ask me this one time about mm-hmm. my business. This yeah. one time. I will tell you the truth. And he lies right to her face. It's devastating to watch. It is the fall. It is completely the fall of Michael Corleone. And then he somehow falls far- farther in part two. Um, and then, but yeah, and then the, this two shots right after that the shot through the doorway looking at Michael and the shot of Diane Keaton is just both of those are incredible shots and a Pete, really, and- really powerful way to end a film. As uh, I think it's Rocco Lampone who becomes his uh, head of security. Like Rocco Lampone, they talk about him a little bit, but they don't really say much about who he is. He becomes his like Luca Brasi, like the guy. Like the thing with Luca Brasi is that he is not very smart, but he will literally do anything for Don Vito. Like that's why he's his most trusted like soldier. He's net. He would never betray Vito, and so Rocco becomes that for Michael. And then Clemenza comes up, kisses the ring, calls him like the Godfather, and he—they he, both call him Godfather. And then the door closes on Kay, and it's her face. And in that moment, in the book too, and you could kind of get it from the movie. She knows he lied, and she knows oh, who yeah. he really is. That's why I'm it's saying I think so she perfect. she was a, a great actress, especially in that scene, because you can see it in her face—the realization. That scene is perfect. I have gripes with other scenes she's in, but that scene is perfection. Mm-hmm. And, like, I left that movie with my girlfriend, and she was like, well, did he say no because, like, he wasn't the one who did it? And I said no. He said no because he lied to her. 
No, we know he did it. Well, no, she was trying to get off on, oh, Clemenza's is the one who put the wire around his neck. Oh, like a white lie. Yeah. But I was like, no, it was a bald-faced lie. He had that yeah. man killed. Yeah, it was um, all him. Man, and that's the – so now we're getting into the Oscars part of this. The Oscars, 1973 Oscars movie was released in 1972. Marlon Brando wins Best Picture, doesn't go, boycotts Not, not Best Picture. Sorry, The Godfather won Best Picture. Marlon Brando won Best Actor. Mm-hmm. I have a picture of Marlon Brando that's the best picture. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, and then he not only doesn't go, he sends a representation of uh, a representative from the Native American community. Uh, I'm looking for her name right here. Uh, Sachin Littlefeather. And she goes up for him. He knew he like he knew he had it in the back. That's why he did this. Knew he had it in the back. Roger Moore, the James Bond actor at the time, goes to hand it to her, and she pushes it away and says, Brando can't accept the award. Turns it down. Turns it down. Second time, that's, second time that's ever happened. He wrote a, a big speech. She eventually – she couldn't finish it, but it's him just – like, he was a big, like, social activist. Huge. Mm-hmm. He was a, hu- a huge promoter of African-American civil rights. The Black Panther Party, he was huge about. And then he also was big in, like, the um, rights of Native Americans. He said, and part of the sp- statement was, the motion picture community has been as responsible as any for degrading the Indian and making a mockery of his character, describing his as savage, hostile, and evil. He was so outspoken he was like still talking about like the massacres at wounded knee from 1890 and like just getting this this out there and then he was the second person to turn down a best oscar the first one was george c scott who did it the year before or i guess two years before in 1971 or no it was in 1972 and Patton came out in 1971 and it was reportedly because he said of the academy awards hoopla i don't want any part of it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he had declined a Best Supporting Actor. Um, George C. Scott declined Best Supporting Actor nomination. Just declined the nomination a few years earlier. Than that. You know what? <laughs> I feel like we might get a, a third one this year. I think this year might we might have a, a denier who doesn't want their Oscar. Who? I, I don't know about anyone specific, but because of all the shit that's going on right oh, now, maybe. I feel like it's going to happen. Especially, all right, here's a theory. I feel like if... So right now, editing, score, whatever else, they're all bumped. And right. I feel like if they bring him back in and one of these people wins, I think that one of the editors or one of the composers can be like, nah, fuck you. You didn't want me. You took me out and now you're bringing me back in just because people are complaining? Like, fuck you. You don't care about me. Write this down. Because, write that down. Pot, put it in a, in a pocket. It's recorded. Somewhere. It's going yeah, we'll, to be live tomorrow. We'll save this for a future time. Um, so Brando doesn't go. And he declines it. Pacino also doesn't go. He boycotts it. He thought he should have been nominated for Best Actor. Brando got the nod. He was on screen less time than Pacino, obviously. Brando still deserves it. It's, it is, yes. But I think that Pacino should have been at least nominated. Yeah. I think he was nominated in supporting... He shouldn't have been nominated in supporting. He should have been nominated in lead, because this is this is the um, 
this is the list that year. Marlon Brando, The Godfather, Michael Caine, Sleuth, Lawrence Olivier, Sleuth, Paul Winfield, Sounder, Peter O'Toole, Ruling Class. Love Michael Caine, Lawrence, love Michael Caine, Lawrence Olivier is a, is a legend. One of those got to get bumped. One of those has to get bumped. And then also, this, so this is the supporting role. Uh, Joel Gray for Cabaret, Eddie Albert, the Heartbreak Kid, then the next three are all Godfather, Robert Duvall, Al Pacino, and James Caan, and none of those three win it. Joel Gray wins for Cabaret. Yeah, it's tough. I feel like that always happens when two people or three people are nominated in the, for the same you movie. You think they split the vote? And I think that's what happens. Joel think, Gray snuck in? I think they, they, the vote ends up splitting, and no one ends up winning. I don't think that's ever happened. It's just, that's, uh, it's just bullshit, man. I hate when the Oscars get it so wrong. Joel Gray, like, the, where is the fucking... Uh, is it, I mean, you don't know that the movies aren't going to end up being, like, legendary, but, like, come on. Come no, on! Al Pacino is great, but Brando totally deserves the win well, but here's my thing, is that Pacino should have been nominated for Best Actor, shouldn't have won it, but then Robert Duvall or James Caan should have gotten supporting role. Yeah, but even if both of them were nominated, I still think the vote would have been split and neither of them would have ended up winning. Um, Godfather wasn't even nominated for cinematography. Understandable. There was no mm. wow. I mean, there were a couple wow shots, but nothing that blew me away. I just think everything, everything was done super well. But nothing was exceptional, in my opinion. Lost film editing. Lost director. That one is the one that hurts. Yeah. Also was not nominated. Oh, it was. Okay. Okay. So it originally was, like, nominated for original score, and then they, like, tried to get it removed from that nomination, and then it ended up finally making it. Um, oh, no, it was withdrawn. Because it reused the Fortunella score. Oh. Oh, it reused the score because it's original dramatic score. Right. Or, or original, that part. I don't think it's like that anymore. I think if you re-interpret like, a score. No, it's original. Is it still like you can't? Because yep. it didn't do the whole it – re- it didn't reuse an entire score. I think it reused one part. Damn, man. That's, uh, that's an iconic, iconic soundtrack to that movie. Yeah, Ooh, the score was great. Stings. Um, all right, so Ford Francis Ford Coppola. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll do. I'll. I'll. This. This is. I'll, I'll do this last like soapbox, and then we can wrap up. Um, man, have you? So you've only seen Godfather and Godfather Part Two. Correct. So he made. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight movies before The Godfather. None of them rated very well. Like, even, like, they weren't really box office hits, um, and critics didn't love them. And then he makes one that absolutely flops. He's in debt. He makes The Godfather. He all of a sudden can do whatever the fuck he wants. When they wanted to do The Godfather Part Two, he goes, okay, I'll do it. You have to let me direct an opera. He wanted them to fund an opera for him. He also wanted to make sure that his movie, The Conversation, a script that he had been working on forever, got made. That's a Gene Hackman, John Cazale movie. Um, and then he gets The Conversation and Godfather Part Two out at, in the same year, both nominated for Best Picture. Godfather Part Two won. Now, following this, he goes to the Philippines with a cast, a bunch of 
fucking crew members, and he makes Apocalypse Now. They couldn't even look at the dailies when they were making this movie because Philippines didn't have a film lab to develop these. He was shooting it pretty much blind and shipping the film back to the United States. He didn't get to look at any of his film until he went back to the United States. Yeah, that's a wild move. The entire cast was like losing their minds on this set. They were in the middle of this jungle shooting all of this stuff. Have you seen Community before? Do you, have you seen this show? No. Oh, man. They parody it so well. They're trying to shoot this, like, commercial, and everybody's losing their minds. Then he makes one from the heart. Doesn't do very well. Then he makes The Outsiders, another book adaption. That's still, like, a legendary book, but it doesn't do very well critically. Um, he makes a movie called Rumblefish, Cotton Club. He starts ma- – he, he's, he's so weird because he's, like, this artist known for the greatest – two of the greatest movies of all time, but, like – he also just – he really wants to make Jack with Robin Williams about uh, a 40-year-old – a guy who looks like a 40-year-old, but he's actually a fifth grader. <laughs> like, it's so weird. And now he's using, like, $150 million of his own money to fund Megalopolis, which is, like, his, like – He's just – he's a very ambitious person, and it really reflects in his movies, and I, I respect that a lot. He's super ambitious, but also, like – it's why does he want to make Jack so bad? You made the Godfather. I don't think he he views it like that. I think he just views the Godfather as another movie he made. And now that he has all this respect and can do like he has more freedom and can do more of what he wants, he's just gonna do more of what he wants. I don't know. It's so weird. Um, although I am very excited for Megalopolis. It's the it's like essentially like an up it's almost an update. It's heavily inspired by the 1920s uh German film Metropolis, like the first sci-fi movie ever. It sounds like it's going to be sick. Um but man, Ford Coppola is so fucking weird. I love him though. He's he's insane. He's absolutely he's bonkers. Um he won best director for Godfather Part 3 and best picture. That's so fucking weird. Godfather Part 3 is not a good movie. What did he beat? What did that beat? That is... Oh, my God. It's the Goodfellas year. Mm. Um, so I'll, I'll give my quick thoughts on Part 2 since I watched it. Yeah. Um, I I liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, I don't think it was as good as the first. I think it, it definitely had a lot more issues. Um but my, my main gripe with it is just I wish it was longer. I think towards the second half, it started to rush some stuff. And, like, the court scene and everything, kind of, like, the politics and everything, it kind of was all jumbled, and, and I wish that was fleshed out more and it was very rushed. Um, but uh, I, I think this is one's even more ambitious than the first, especially trying to have a sequel and a prequel all in one movie, which is insane still today. Um yeah, but overall, even though this movie's three and a half hours long, I still wish it was a little longer because towards the end, I think some stuff just got rushed and, and jumbled up, and I wished it was a little bit fleshed out more. But overall, still a fantastic movie, and Al Pacino really shines in this one. Godfather Part Two is three hours and 22 minutes. Yeah, three and a half. You wanted it longer? I did want it longer, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the hive. <laughs> Welcome to the Godfather hive. As much, like, because it just depends on the story. He he shoves. He made the story, and I I still think it was a little rushed, even though it was three and a half hours long. Because the story is just so massive, and especially just all the stuff he tried to shove into the second half, 
I was like, why are we doing this if we only have this much left, you know? Um, yeah, man. It's also a fucked Academy Awards situation there. Al Pacino lost Best Actor in a Leading Role to Art Carney from Harry and Tonto. That's also Jack Nicholson in Chinatown's year. It's just a, a disgrace. Although De Niro did win it for... Um, he won supporting for Vito. It's the first time that two Oscars have ever been given for the same character. Also, oh, De Niro was incredible in part two. He fantastic. shined. So incredible. this is not the Godfather part two pod. We will get there one day. But one thing I, I love about part two, Hyman Roth, uh, the, the, you know, the guy in Cuba who's like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the main antagonist of that movie, he was an acting coach who was not really like, he never really made any movies. He was in 10 movies or he was also, it was in eight movies, two TV, three, three TV shows, so seven movies. And, um, he was just known as this legendary acting coach and Coppola was like, let's get him and let's have him play Hyman Roth. And also we're going to have him eat a ham sandwich with his shirt off. Why not? <laughs> I love that and scene. It's so great. And then he gets nominated for best supporting actor. The thing is, I didn't think he was a bad actor, but who? Hyman Roth. I, I didn't say, I'm not saying, I would say he's a legend. I was, I no, love that role. No, uh, let me finish. <laughs> okay. But I, I didn't think he was as compelling as like an antagonist as like the war in the first film. Or I just, I just feel like his conflict with Michael just, eh, it didn't gripe me as much as like the conflicts in the first film did. And Rip. I think that's what kind of uh, brought me down a little bit. Didn't from grip you? It's in a grip, man. No. Not gripe you. No, sorry. It's a grip. Gripe. Um, also, Michael V. Gatso nominated for Best Supporting Actor. So three, once again, three people from the same movie nominated. Um, Frankie Pintangeli. That's why he's Frankie Five Angels, because Penn D'Angeli, you know? Five <laughs> Angels. Yeah. Man, I could do another hour on this movie. You want to you wanna take a break and then gear up for another hour? We got to make it as long <laughs> as the actual movie. Dude, I could, though. I really could. I just, there's so much useless knowledge I have about this movie. Um, it really, it changed American culture in, in an insane way, because, like, until this movie like like mafia culture wasn't uh, a big part of the cultural lexicon in a positive light and like nobody wanted to be a gangster you know henry hill i i always wanted to be a gangster you know nobody wanted that and then this movie came out changed everything yeah i I realized after watching this movie that this is why scorsese has a career it's why scorsese has a career um Christopher Nolan's Batman movies, particularly The Dark Knight, draw a lot from this yeah. with the crime families. I mean, Michael Mann has a big career from this. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can see how much he loves The Godfather because his best movie, Heat, is Al Pacino versus Robert De Niro. Yeah. First time those two have ever shared the screen. It's amazing. Um, I don't think there's a filmmaker working that would not would say that this movie did not impact them and have a huge effect on them and in terms of the cultural lexicon like it made gangs mainstream and made it into like a cool thing yeah it changed american culture it like people wanted to start treating business like the mafia 
it's this is business, not personal. Became a huge thing. Like that's how people started viewing the world. Mm-hmm. It ch- it literally changed people's world views, and it made everybody a little bit more nihilistic. I think too. Totally. And, and you can totally see that while when watching this movie, you just like even though I'm like I'm from. 21st century you can still you can still feel its impact while watching it because it still is such an ambitious movie and it still does that same thing of making you want to go out and join the fucking mafia (laughs) i walk out of there and i'm like how do i become a soldier i want to make someone an offer they can't refuse yeah man where's a horse give me a horse (laughs) i read Um, that was a real horse's head yes it was they got it from a glue factory down the road um (laughs) But I would not uh, fly today. No. Speaking of not flying, this is just a quick little note. Apocalypse Now completely forgot about this. I finished it. I, I, I almost fell asleep watching it last night because I was at the last 42 minutes. I would have been able to finish it if 42 minutes had been cut out of it. But um, I saved it for right before this podcast. and I completely forgot that they ritual sacrifice a real cow in that movie. You see them cut its head off. Yikes. It's insane. Also, Marlon Brando in that movie. This is just a quick Marlon Brando note because I love Marlon Brando. He knows how much he's worth, man. Like he uh, in Godfather Part Two, he said he wasn't going to show up and shoot the last scene in that movie. This, which is why he's not in it, unless they paid him the same amount as they did for the first one. <laughs> That's awesome. Respect. He's reading his lines off of cue cards in this movie. He also reads a bunch of lines off of cue cards in Apocalypse Now. But in Apocalypse Now, he went on an 18-minute long rambling monologue that people from the de- from the day they shot it said that some of it was incoherent, but most of it was like some of the most beautiful acting they've ever seen. And he went for 18 minutes, and at the end of it, he looked over and said, Francis, I've done all I can. If you need any more, get a different actor. Wow. <laughs> He's a fucking legend. He's so great. Oh, I love, I love Marlon Brando. Also, Superman's dad. <laughs> love this guy. <laughs> uh, all right. So, the way we're doing this month is we are doing... Um, Oscars winners, right? So we're going to pit four Oscars winners against each other. Best picture winners. Best picture winner. That's what I meant. Sorry. Thank you. I'm very tired and I'm a little gassed from my God, from, from talking for 45 minutes. Um, but we'll do four best picture winners. Uh, so we'll be able to discuss Oscar years. Uh, now the actual ceremony is what? March 22nd, right? Which is 28th, I think, or 27th. 27th, sorry. I've, yeah, okay. That is what, a Thursday? Sunday, dude. Is it Oscars a Sunday? Is always on a Sunday. Always on a Sunday, yes, I know. All right, so what we'll probably be doing, just as a heads up, um, and we can talk about this more if you don't necessarily agree, the podcast that will be coming out on the 24th is, I think, should be us going category by category and making our picks. Yeah. And, yeah, and just another... All right, we can do our final 2021 reflection and then fucking finally start looking ahead to 2022 because I'm getting annoyed having to catch up on things while uh, new movies are coming out, but also not that many good new movies are coming out because they know people are going to be catching up on things. Really quick, right? 
really quick also before we move on and wrap up here uh in case you have not caught all of the best picture winners um drive my car and and the power and not the power the nominations stories no nominations god thank you man i'm all over the place right now dude i i am wiped after talking that much don't look up and West Side Story on HBO Max. Also, West Side Story is on Disney Plus. Don't now look too. up is on HBO. God, did I do that again? Ah, Drive My Car is on HBO. Don't look up is on Netflix though. If you haven't seen it, Ugh. oh God, I'm so tired. Um, King Richard is coming back to HBO Max, but I don't think it's. I, I think it'll. It won't be before the Oscars, or it's going to be right before the Oscars. And then I have no Nightmare Alley is on HBO Max and Hulu. Dune coming back to HBO Max soon. Coda on Apple TV. I have no clue if Belfast or Licorice Pizza will make it to streaming before the Oscars. Have you heard about that? Don't know. Don't care. <laughs> Just kidding. I care about Licorice Pizza. I don't know. I was about to say, why are you shitting on the best movie of the year? <laughs> Stay tuned. I'm sure something will happen. I hope so. Because um, I need to see both of those. Um, I think Belfast is available on Amazon, but I don't know about any other streaming. But I think it's only available... For purchase on Amazon, which oh, it's it's available for uh, rent now. You can rent it. You gonna rent Belfast to give another watch? I'm not going near that movie again. <laughs> <laughs> Are you gonna just stay away from Kenneth Branagh for a little while? No, nah, he wasn't in that movie, so. But he directed it. <laughs> yeah. But no comment. <laughs> All right. We'll get uh, a list of some best picture winners that we want to put in. Um, and then we'll, you, we'll, I'll just make a document for us to do that. And we can make a list and start putting them out on polls. So, as always, stay tuned to the at ABC Movie Show Twitter for that. Um, all right. I'm gassed. I don't know about you. It's an exhausting movie. It but is. I'm gonna. I might watch part two tonight. <laughs> definitely one of the best of all time, and I'm. Um, I'm still excited to watch part three. Man, yeah, hit me back after you watch that, because I definitely have thoughts. Um, all right, thank y'all for listening, Jacob. Thank you for talking with me. I'm gonna go sleep for twelve hours. See you next time, buddy.